Greetings, George Shevchuk here, White Post Studio. I'm here with uh, Ben... Uh, Benjamin Scalera. Daniel Scalera. And uh, today we're going to be talking about energy. Uh, I made a, a little, took some notes this morning that I wanted to uh, read. And uh, then we'll uh, talk about these items, and I hope uh, you find it interesting. It is my opinion that energy is just another arena for racketeering by the ruling oligarchs of the world. Um, first concept that I want to introduce here, which is important to uh, comprehend in order to uh, grasp the big picture, is that like royalty of old, oligarchs today have a bond with each other that transcends any bond or loyalty that they have to the general population. Unlike royalty, however, the oligarchs don't even have any loyalty whatsoever to the nation, to any nation or the nation that they live in. As a matter of a fact, they are anti-nationalism and are globalists. The oligarchs of the West, for example, have closer bonds and loyalties to oligarchs in China, for instance, than to the people of the countries that they reside. Secondly, these oligarchs actually rule most of the world and are very hostile to any nation that steps out of their will, like Russia today, for an example. You may ask about Chinese oligarchs and how they support Russia. I believe that Chinese oligarchs pretend to go along with Western oligarchs as long as it suits them, but they, were, but they are fooling Western oligarchs and uh, are using them as useful idiots. This is possible because Western oligarchs are blinded by emotions that are ungodly and therefore they deceive themselves as, as uh, all do that are antichrist. China and the West are destined to clash. The two big mistakes that Richard Nixon made was taking the dollar off the gold standard and opening up the gates to China. China was a sleeping dragon that should not have been awakened and fed. By the way, we fed China at our national expense because the traders for profit, oligarchs amongst us, facilitated this theft of the USA, of our jobs and uh, wealth. Thirdly, this oligarch-controlled world keeps many secrets and knowledge from, the, uh, from this world that is mostly under their control. Up to this point, I wanted to set the stage in order to proceed with my thoughts and theories in regards to the subject of energy. There are many energy-related technologies that have been invented that would be, great would be great benefit to humanity. Some of these, the oligarchs controlled governments, the oligarch controlled governments control. Some were patents bought by our controllers from the inventors and locked up um, to prevent their um, realization. And in a few cases where the inventors refused to sell, they were murdered. These in um, invented and subsequently hidden technologies are difficult um, to uh, prove or explain. But every now and then, a technology, energy, that is so well known scientifically that the oligarchs' establishment cannot 
hide it completely. So they simply ignore it, and because they, for the most part, control the microphone and uh, media of the world, they can keep uh, the overwhelming majority from being uh, aware or caring about what they choose to censor by omission from the big um, from the big guns of media that are the most uh, prestigious and highly regarded by the sheeple of the world. So the question is, are you a sheep? Well, I got to tell you, I am, but not a sheep of the world, but a sheep of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus does not want to control us. He wants us to have the wisdom to come to himself voluntarily. God and his only begotten Son are all about order, and the greatest version of order is love. <clears throat> now, the subject matter. Thorium molten salt reactors are what the oligarch-controlled establishment does not want you to be aware of. Among many other things, uh, they don't want you to be aware of that among many other things. So I want to go into some wild stuff here, but there's good topics of conversation. One of the first things that I want to point out, and you'll see how they relate, is the whole concept of UFOs. And I want to tell you that it is my personal opinion that UFOs uh, are because of extraterrestrials is just a bunch of bull. And the reason why I feel that way um, the reason why I feel that there are no extraterrestrials visiting our planet, with the, with the exception of maybe Satan and his fallen an angels, which are demons, um, is because it is much more likely that this technology is technology that is, um, has been invented and had, has been nurtured here on Earth and is just being kept secret from, um, from the general population. The world has this technology that would make energy free and, ver and therefore it would make it very difficult for the oligarchs to control and rule this planet. We know about inventions that started, um, we know about inventors that started discovering this technology. The Nazis of Germany made many advances and they were brought uh, to the USA and further development and developed in places like the infamous Area 51. Therefore, people like Searle that made devices that did not fly, but their weight would dramatically uh, be reduced while they were in operation. There is much more evidence. You have to do your own research if you so desire. It is amazing to me that people find it difficult to believe this because of their conditioning but have no problem believing that extraterrestrial beings are secretly visiting our planet. If I am correct, and I think I am, there are extrapolations that can be made from this hypothesis. Number one, there are probably sanctuaries for the elite in places like Antarctica because heat and greenhouses can be operated virtually for free. Number two, there are probably huge underground networks all over the world because this technology and variations of it would enable uh, the rapid and inexpensive creation 
of underground tunnels and chambers. Number three, Elon Musk and people like him are made wealthy by this world system because he is the Pied Piper that is misleading and redirecting the world away from comprehension of these technologies. With BS companies like his SpaceX and his burrowing company that uses antiquated technology to mislead the masses. It is the possession of this technology and the power that comes from it that creates the mindset of the declaration of the Georgia stone slabs where the elite oligarchs now view us as useless eaters that consume the limited resources of the earth. An earth that obviously belongs to the superior. And who are the superior? The people that own and control this technology, of course. Well, you may hear all this and conclude that I am a nut. And maybe I am. But if all this is not um, true, then you must admit it is, it is, nevertheless, great sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think? What's the technology you're talking about? Well, we're talking about, uh, you know, the whole notion that there is free energy in the world, but it's kept from uh, the masses. Free how? Where? Well, like, like, for example, thorium is not free. That's the no. one we know about. But thorium is not used and it's not moved forward. And... and Nobody will give you a rational explanation as it, to why. It's um, rather more complex than regular uh, rate, uh, nuclear energy because it involves very high temperatures and very caustic chemicals. It, like, it, it involves fluoride, fluoride salts, with, and fluorine is the most electronegative element, and, it, uh, and it's also molten, which means it's very high temperatures. So... While it could potentially be uh, more useful, it's a little more complicated to make than no, uh, normal nuclear reactors. And so I'm not sure if anyone has uh, actually been successful in a commercial uh, thorium reactor yet. Well, they say that there was, uh, I'm trying to now remember the name of this research lab in Tennessee. Um, it was a government research lab, Seabrook maybe? But uh, apparently, during the uh, uh, late 60s and early 70s, we had a working thorium molten salt reactor in operation in the United States. But I understand that you're right about the corrosion. Uh, they, from what I understand, they were using certain types of uh, nickel-based pipes to resist the corrosion. And, and it is high temperature. You're right about that, too. But you got to remember the one good thing going for it is that there was, it's not a high pressure system, it's a low pressure system. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that, but was it, was it able to be built to scale? Was it able to be built uh, to something that could last for uh, years and years? No, no, probably not. I mean, it was yeah. a prototype. I right. mean, it was the first, it was the first one. But you, know, you got to, um, you know, you know, from what I understand, Countries like China and India are moving forward with this technology. Yeah, uh, India has uh, one of the largest thorium deposits in the world, I believe, so it's beneficial for them in the first place because they have it there. You know who else, by the way, has a large thorium um, uh, um, reservoir of uh, Norway? Okay. And, uh, and also, it's so plentiful that, uh, from what I read, when they mine rare earth minerals, 
thorium is like a byproduct that is, they don't even know what to do with it. It's like, uh, uh, what is that, fluoride that they put in our drinking water because they don't know what to do with it, you know? But uh, um, it's a byproduct of uh, other uh, industrial processes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so anyway, I've come to the conclusion, you guys may not agree, that uh, we're being hoodwinked. Maybe. What's the what's this tunneling technology you speak up to? Oh, for Elon Musk. No. Well, well, uh, that that opens up a whole can of worms. It's really going to make people think that I'm crazy. But what the hell? It's entertaining anyway, right? So let's let's see what people out there think. And by the way, uh, maybe we can announce our new email address in case somebody wants to respond with their own thoughts to what we say. Which, which is uh, uh, White Post Studio at protonmail.com. We use Proton Mail because uh, they're known for privacy and they don't use the content of your email f uh, for advertising. You know that the, the reason why I believe, or or I, um, I believe that they have the technology to be able to uh, make uh, tunnels and chambers underground, is because of a book that I read by a Dr. Judy Wood that had to do with uh, the Twin Towers coming down on 9-11. Mm. And actually her book was called Where Did the Towers Go? As a matter of fact, I should show you the book because some of the physics in that book is a little bit beyond my level and I know that uh, you, that's probably something that uh, you, Dan, could handle very easily. So sure. I'd like for you to look it over and see if the physics that she has in there makes sense. There's a lot of theories about the Twin Towers, and so, I mean, there's some conspiracy theories that uh, maybe it was uh, planned, uh, the government did it, or something like that. Have you ever seen the documentary called Loose Change? Yeah, I have, but I got to tell you, I've never seen anything. Um, I've, I've seen that documentary, I've seen presentations made by, I forgot, it was some large number of the architects they got together, whether it was a hundred or a thousand of them, I don't remember, but they were making arguments about how this was, you know, there's more to this than meets the eye. Right. But okay. I think that Dr. Judy Wood's book is the one that I found to be most fascinating because she, she doesn't actually make any claims, but she shows you the evidence and she, her basic feeling is, is that wherever the evidence leads us, that's where we're going to go. So she actually did it the way a forensic investigation would be conducted. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that she, I mean, it's a little off topic because we're supposed to be talking about energy, but, but the thing is, is that it seems to me like there was a high energy device that was being used to basically disintegrate those buildings because those buildings, when they fell into their footprint, there should have been a debris pile that should have been 20 to 30 stories high, but the debris pile was actually like one and a half stories high, which is physically impossible. The other thing that's very impossible is that those buildings were built in something that is known in architectural terms as a bathtub. And the bathtub was to keep the Hudson River from flooding the towers. And if those towers would have came crashing down in the uh, pancake effect, you know, that you would probably see 
on a Roadrunner, uh, uh, Wile E. Coyote type of a cartoon. You mean like controlled demolition? Uh, yeah, like a controlled demolition, which I, by the way, think that building number seven was controlled demolition. But if those two big towers would have come down in this similar way, they would have ruptured the bathtub and the, and the Hudson River would have flooded. Uh, so when you read the book, I mean, unless you're interested in what really happened, you cannot, you cannot come to any logical conclusions without reading Dr. Judy Wood's book, Where Did the Towers Go? I highly recommend that book. It's, it was pricey, but it was well worth it. And I think that uh, in, um, in history, it'll go down as one of the, uh, the best works of uh, um, investigation uh, that uh, has ever been written. It's a shame that a similar investigation was not done in other questionable events in our history like uh, the Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. So if I'm correct that this technology caused the towers to disintegrate the way I believe they did, this same technology could also be used to burrow a uh, tunnel underground uh, in uh, literally a tiny fraction of the time that is uh, now taken to make a similar towel, a tunnel with the burrowing kind of equipment that Elon Musk uses in his burrowing company. What do you mean by disintegrate? Well, I mean there were there were there were parts of that building that that disintegrated into dust before they hit the ground. Yes. Which which is cannot be explained by any kind of. Explosion, not not even thermite. Okay, but even if you're doing the uh, for tunneling, you still need a big system to remove the dust that's created. Not if it's turned to dust. Yes. I mean, all you need is a broom. No. <laughs> you well, need to. No, okay. <laughs> then you have to take the dust out of the tunnel. That, that's the, yeah. Yeah. That, well, I mean, that that would be. That's most of the contraption of uh, boring machines, uh, similar to what Elon Musk uses. Mm -hmm. uh, th there's uh, spinning blades at the front that cut into it to make it into dust, and then uh, there's a big conveyor belt system that uh, removes the debris, and uh, there's also uh, stuff uh, that uh, puts uh, ports around as it goes along. Yeah, but grinding the rock into dust, I would imagine, is the big part of the job. Removing the dust comparatively, comparatively, I think, is not the major problem. So how hard of a substance can this disintegrate? Look, this is all theoretical. I'm not f intimately familiar with this technology. It's just it's strange that paper, in some cases, do you realize that not one filing cabinet, hardly, hardly one toilet was found in the debris? All of these things just basically vaporized. So there's an invention I saw in a documentary for uh, Tesla. He made something that vibrated, that was able to vibrate buildings. You mean the Nikola Tesla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikola Tesla made uh, something that could vibrate buildings at a specific frequency that uh, such a small device could take down an entire building. There was a word that's associated with that. I forgot what it is. It's something like harmonics. It, it has to do with uh, resonance. That's yeah. it. Resonant the whole frequency. Resonant frequency. See, what 
what if you if you can get the correct resonant frequency then you can get the uh, the waves to, to build it up build the uh, tension up to the point where there's a point where it cracks or it ruptures right that's exactly it so it, it keeps resonating with a certain frequency that weakens the building and then the entire thing comes down with uh, that resonating frequency I, I really believe that Nikola Tesla was the guy that actually set the stage for all of these uh, uh, new developments that started coming along maybe some of them during his lifetime but I think at some point the establishment realized that we cannot share this technology or, or the knowledge of this technology with the general public. Right. If you're talking about hidden uh, secrets about energy and inventions f related to energy, there's a lot of that that comes from Nikola Tesla. Uh, there's stories that his notes were uh, taken away by the government uh, after, he died. after he died, CIA or whatever it was, and then his notes were hidden away by the government that didn't want you to know about it. He had certain kinds of uh, energy experiments and inventions. Wardenclyffe. Yeah, you know, especially done at Wardenclyffe. Uh, there was uh, a big uh, thing that he was trying to do to create energy for the whole world. He wanted to make energy that resonated with the frequency of the planet. So in the same kind of way that he had something that could uh, destroy an entire building with a, just the right frequency. He was trying to find the right frequency to uh, harness energy from the planet and uh, give it to people in a form that they could use for their own power. You, you must have read about this, that when he came to J.P. Morgan and with his theories and philosophies, J.P. Morgan said, how can I put a meter on this? And, and Tesla said, you can't. And that was the end of his financial backing. Well, as far as Tesla knew, there was no way to uh, put a meter on something that's wireless because he was trying to give wireless power. It, it was something that was taking the energy from the frequency of the planet, and it was like a, a frequency that would go around the planet. You know, that I, I can imagine that there was something to that. And, uh, but again, that could just fall under the category of all the different types of technologies that are being hidden from us. Because why would they allow us to have free energy when they could profit from it? Right. If, if you're talking about free energy, th this research uh, from Tesla at Wardenclyffe was the only thing that I think could really be considered free energy. It's, it's not uh, like th the energy's coming from nowhere. It's coming from stratosphere. the stratosphere and, and, and the way the, the planet naturally works. So the energy does have a source, but it's free to us that we don't actually have to burn anything to create it. Yeah, I think that it's very possible that that's true. Um, the, the thing is, is that uh, we need to have other people that are more knowledgeable than we are to dialogue with us and to be able to contact us on the email address that you gave earlier so that we could uh, work together to try to uh, find out what's going on. I do know that this is a dangerous subject, by the way, because if, if one person makes too much noise, you know, that he's threatening the power uh, and the money of the establishment, 
But if there's a lot of people involved in this, then I think that it reduces the risk. Um, there's, there's other things that make me very suspicious about the establishment in regards to energy. For example, in my different types of research that I made in regards to energy, I found out, uh, for example, did you know that the Hoover Dam, which was uh, poured, all the concrete in the Hoover Dam was poured, like what, almost 100 years ago? It's a, yeah, about that much. And the, the, that was such a large volume of concrete. And, you know, concrete cools as it, as it goes through the chemical reaction that it goes through to become hard concrete. And because of that tremendous volume of concrete that was poured in the Hoover Dam, that the Hoover Dam is actually still cooling today. Yeah, concrete is generally known to take a long time to... Uh, set and and the longer it sets the stronger it gets so the reason why I bring that up is because there seems to be a relationship between the amount of mass and the time that it takes for that mass to cool down in temperature I think that's pretty basic f physics right sure. so yeah. why can we not uh, collect the heat from the Sun in the summer and put it in a thermal storage battery underground and store that heat to be used for for heating homes in the winter and and I think that that is very doable and feasible but uh, batteries uh, aren't that efficient yeah. no no not 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 electric batteries okay, battery. thermal thermal battery like so you would you would heat up a large mass of some kind of uh, stone or concrete and because it's such a large mass that you've heated up over the summer with uh, the heat of the sun, let's say, it doesn't have to be underground. It could be above ground, but it has to be insulated. This mass is, is holding so much heat that it would be more than enough heat to uh, then pull from that bank of, of heat to, uh, to keep a home heated oh, for the winter. I don't think so. Uh, Why not? It would require too much mass. Well, well, like there's no shortage of mass? <laughs> yes, there is. There is. We're running out of sand. I we mean, you could use regular earth. It doesn't have to be sand. What do you mean by earth? Like dirt. D uh, like dirt? Dirt is, uh, not, dirt is not as dense as concrete, and I don't think that that would work well. Like, uh, you mean like soil? Soil cools off quickly. Yeah. Well, only if it's exposed. But I mean, if it's if it's if you got a tremendous amount of soil, and you heated it up, and it's a large volume and a large mass of it, it would take a long time for it to cool off. Probably not. Probably not as long as concrete do would, but but it would be. You do, know. In, do you mean compressing the soil first? Like, oh, you're saying there's too much air in the soil? It's too much surface area in soil. Mm -hmm. Surface area. Would be would it be more surface area than sand? We make concrete out of sand, and we're and we're running out of sand. You can't just say that uh, there's no shortage of sand in the world to make concrete. More all, wait, wait, wait. With all the beaches in the world, you're telling me we're we running out of sand? <laughs> we don't use beach sand. We use sand on the bottom of the ocean and ocean sand. Uh, that we're already realizing that there's a bit of environmental crisis about using uh, about using too much ocean sand. The thing about 
uh, sand on beach on beaches and on uh, deserts is that it's wrong kind of sand. So it's that it's too uniform. So it wouldn't work uh, right. for concrete. Right. But could it be? Could you use it in some capacity to make some kind of a substance that would give you a a, a mass that you could then uh, use it as a thermal bank? You're talking about making sandstone. Yeah. Whatever. It doesn't have to have the strength of concrete. All it has to do is retain heat. I mean, so that's one possibility that I think deserves further investigation as far as energy is concerned. There are some places that when they have uh, different uh, where they want to have a battery for uh, like solar or wind, they'll actually go pumping water up a hill. They have a reservoir uh, that's, uh, they have two reservoirs, one that's at a higher altitude than the other one, and so uh, when they want to, uh, when they have excess energy, they'll pump some of the water uh, to the higher reservoir, and then when uh, it's at like a peak hour and they need to use more energy, uh, then they just uh, have the water go revert in reverse back down the hill, and they'll use that for some more of the energy. So. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, a good idea. I think that there are people working on projects like that around the world. Yeah, that, uh, I'm saying that does exist. It already exists. <coughs> then, then that exists, but it's not very efficient. Right. There, there's, o there's very special circumstances where that would uh, be feasibly efficient. Yeah. Uh, so, so I've heard of uh, someone coming up with some uh, grand idea of uh, uh, a battery where you, you have some sort of tower and when there's excess energy in the system, the tower will lift these uh, giant uh, cement blocks up to the top of the tower, and then uh, when there's uh, energy that they need, then it would go uh, let the blocks fall down and then use the energy uh, when it's falling down. Hmm. But that's, it, it sounds like it's very good, but that's very dumb. It is very dumb because it's towered. What's gonna happen when it's windy? And uh, there's so many things that can go wrong. So there's many things that sound interesting, but they don't, they're not really practical. Yeah, I, I would imagine that that's the case. Um, but the qu the question is, mm -hmm. is that uh, are the question is, is are are there things that are practical that are you know being uh, given uh, what are, what's the expression short shrift? Sure. But uh, there's another technology that I read about that is, I don't know, I think it has some potential. It has to do with air conditioning. Mm -hmm. You know how air conditioners now, you know, use compressors mm -hmm. and uh, evaporators and so forth. But uh, there was um, a technology that came out that had to do with sound. And it had these huge industrial speakers that were actually forcing the pressure in a, in a long tube from one end to the other, theref thereby creating the pressure and heat at one end of the tube while reducing the temperature at the, end of the other end of the tube. And uh, in the beginning, there seemed like as if there was a lot of potential for using sound for a new generation of refrigeration uh, creation or reducing temperatures. And in the beginning, it seemed like as if it was like you know, something wonderful uh, would, that would make the compressor a uh, dinosaur. And then all of a sudden, the technology sort of like fizzled away. And, uh, you know, it makes you wonder whether it went away because it wasn't practical or actually because it threatened 
the uh, status quo. Mm. Well, air conditioners already are an amazing uh, miracle of science. It's uh, they're able to move something like ten times as much heat energy as the amount of energy that they use for to to move the the heat. They're moving the heat away from the inside of your house to the outside. It's not actually creating cold in your house. It's moving the heat out of your house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't have no idea how the air conditioner works. But I saw someone on YouTube that uh, has a lot of really good explanations. And he's really fascinated by the science himself. And he, and he says... Uh, more people should be using air conditioners to heat their house, actually, uh, because it's more energy efficient to heat your house with the air conditioner if you just uh, put it in reverse. Well, that's what they do in North Carolina. You know, uh, they almost everybody has, heat they pump. call them heat pumps. Right, right, the heat pump. So they just run their air conditioning in reverse. Right, but around here, the uh, natural gas is so cheap, it's actually, uh, it, it costs less to use natural gas to heat your house. Even though it's less efficient e- than a heat pump. Even though it's less energy efficient than a heat pump. Because the electric costs more than uh, using natural gas. Well, I think that that's about to change. Maybe. With the way the prices are going up for uh, fossil fuels. So fossil fuels created from oil are a little bit different than uh, natural gas uh, for fuel. It, they generally have different sources, as some areas have more natural gas and other areas have more oil. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, when you, uh, if you use geothermal technology, and, and I'm talking about the kind, uh, there's a special name for it. It's just when you just dig... Uh, they have lots of that uh, in Iceland. Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about the tapping into a volcano. I'm talking about just having a lots, field. They have lots of it in Iceland. Yeah, but there's two different types. There's the type when you're tapping into like some kind of underground uh, uh, hot water geyser or a volcano. That, that, that's also geothermal uh, energy. And then there's a type where you just basically dig up a field in your backyard that's maybe six or eight feet under the ground where the temperature is a uniform 45, 50 degrees. And then they could get that heat into the house. And then even if you're located in Maine or in, uh, or in New York State, you could use that 45, 50 degrees with a conventional heat pump to give you the energy that you need, like as if you were living in North Carolina. Right, so when you were saying about storing heat underground uh, or, or in some kind of mass, that I, I don't think heat would, uh, it, it's not easy to keep something hot that long for it to be useful in that way. But w- this uh, is actually uh, a lot more practical and it's used a lot more. How you get heat from deep underground and then pump it up to the building where you need it. You, uh, if you dig deep enough underground, there's heat in the earth. And you can easily use it for heating uh, your own, uh, uh, for your own purposes, for your air building. Right, right. You know, there are a few other technologies that um, uh, I came across that uh, I think there's some doubt as to what what is going on. And one of them 
is induction, induction heating. That's another one of those things that when it first came out, oh, induction ovens, and they're so energy efficient, and everything was wonderful, and it was good. And, I mean, you're familiar with the whole concept of an induction coil and how induction heating works, right? Are you? Explain for the viewers. <clears throat> well, for the listeners, uh, basically it's a, it's a coil that uh, uh, wraps around uh, a metal, and uh, there is certain amount of uh, uh, wiring and technology and, and circuits that are involved that have to make it work, but it increases... The, um, the coil increases the heat of the metal. And in the case of uh, induction oven or a range, the coils are wound like a record on an old-fashioned record album. And then they heat, if you put your pot on top of uh, that coil, that, that induction will heat the metal in the pot. But yet if you take the pot off, you can put your hand right on the stove and, and the stove is room temperature. So, yeah. so that's a common technology in electric uh, stoves to this day. Right, it is. But it's not used nearly as much as it should be because, it, uh, because it's so energy efficient. This is the thing that, that kind of got my interest. As I was doing my research, I found out that there are foundries, small foundries that melt metal, like people that melt down silver and, and make coins out of it that use induction ovens for their foundries. And the thing that, that my question is, is that if a foundry finds induction heating efficient enough to melt metal for their foundry, then why is an induction being used in people's homes as a heating system? You know, and, and, and now there might be a good reason but me, I'm a skeptic, and I do believe in conspiracies, so I would like to have further investigation in that area. How do you want it to heat the air? Well, it would have to eat, uh, heat the metal. As long as it heats the metal, then whatever, like for example, if you heat a pipe, whatever is traveling through the pipe, whether it's air or water or oil, it would, it would be automatically heated by the pipe because the pipe is being heated by the coil. So you're talking about the coil being hot or what's being put in the middle of the coil? Well, normally in an induction setup, it's what's being put into the middle of the coil. Yeah, so what's being put in the middle of the coil should be something that's conductive and air does not conduct at all. Air is a very good insulator. Well, well it's, the, it's the metal pipe that's running through the middle of the coil that would itself be getting very hot. So what you would uh, put water through the pipe. So whatever you put through the pipe would automatically heat up, because it would be heated up by the walls of the pipe. So would it work if you put water through the pipe? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it should theoretically, and and you know while we're into this, you know, like uh, brainstorming and and different possible ideas, I came up with another idea that sounds kind of crazy. But, but what do you think about the idea of having a microwave heating system for a home? Did it ever occur to you that if you could heat up a glass of water or whatever you're heating up in your kitchen efficiently, why can't you be heating up water uh, in your basement uh, that would be circulating around the house using uh, a very efficient microwave uh, uh, home heating system? Is it really more efficient? Well, that's, what, that's why we need other people to contact us, because I'm sure that sooner or later we're going to come across 
listeners that are also into uh, the field of uh, electronics and physics, and uh, I would like to get a dialogue going and, uh, you know, see if we're not barking up the wrong tree here or not, uh, that uh, I am not barking up the wrong uh, tree. A microwave antenna large enough to be involved in a home heating system sounds like it would just be too big of an antenna that would be involved in too much of the spectrum. Well, no, what, what makes a microwave o oven work is I think it's called uh, a magnetron. magnetron. Right. Yes. Microwaves only affect things that are very close to them. So it, to have it affect the whole house? No, 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 no. It's no, affecting the water, water running through it. He wants to heat the Once water. you heat yeah. the water, then you're just circulating it around uh, your baseboards, around the house. Right. So in, The whole idea is just to get the water hot. Right, <laughs> right. So... Both of these ideas with the microwave and the induction heater, they're using electric. And like I said, uh, with a natural gas being so cheap, well, at least in this area, it's uh, a lot cheaper to heat uh, with uh, burning, burning natural gas. Well, first of all, natural gas is getting very expensive now, number one. And number two, I think that the comparative analysis you're doing is when, you're, uh, when your electric system is using what they c call pure resistance. And resistance is a very inefficient way to heat your house with electricity. I mean, I understand that resistance is not the, the system that I would want to use. That's why I'm opening up the possibility of using electricity in a different way, like induction or through microwave, as being the alternate ways that would make it less expensive than natural gas, especially with natural gas and everything else but skyrocketing in price now. But we already said that a heat pump would be uh, basically the most efficient uh, home heating with electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, air conditioning in reverse. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, look, uh, the, these things are, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure which system is going to win the race, but I think they all need to be looked at. You know, I think that these are interesting uh, concepts uh, for thought and further investigation. Right. So, anyway... That's about all I have to bring to the table. Is there anything else you guys wanted to mention? I think I said everything I was thinking of, so this was a good talk. All right, uh, signing off then. Uh, this is uh, Dan, Ben, and George from uh, White Post uh, Studio. Stay well. <laughs>